I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's the Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Been a lot of moving parts here lately, uh, but happy to have your usual Thursday duo of uh, Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoe with you for the next hour. We're going to give you our initial thoughts on the Jack Eichel trade to Vegas after that saga finally reached its conclusion in the early morning hours on Thursday. And John Vogel, who does a terrific job covering the Sabres for us, he's going to drop by right off the top of the show here to give us the Buffalo perspective on the deal. Plus, uh, there's going to be some talk that Gary Bettman should step aside as NHL commissioner. If that does happen, we want to know who would be a suitable Replacement. We'll chat a little bit too about Pekka Rinne getting his uh, jersey retired in Nashville. And in this week in hockey history, we're going to look back at the circumstances that led to Al Arbor coming back to coach a single game in 2007. And it's the anniversary of the most famous line in Red Wings history being put together. But Sean, as we kick off this show, uh, why don't we get, I, I think we should just get right to John Vogel, shouldn't we? Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Because, uh, my goodness, we've had him on in the summertime, in the fall, and we kept asking, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? John Vogel, it happened this morning. Uh, walk our listeners through uh, this morning, how you found out this deal had uh, come to fruition and uh, your, your kind of initial thoughts here. Well, good early morning from Seattle. Uh, I learned about it while I was sleeping. Actually, <laughs> the phone went off uh, uh, that the trade was completed. Um, it was 4.43 a.m. in Seattle time, so uh, a little early, but that's fine. I mean, people have been waiting a long time for this. Um, speaking of that, before we even get to what the trade uh, is about, I just want to say that this was more about a person and a family, too. Um, I've, I'm very happy for Jack Eichel and his family. I know uh, what gets lost in this is he's been through a lot. Um, obviously, people say, oh, he's getting paid a lot of money and uh this is part of the job, but uh, it's been a long, it's been a long six month health wise. It's been a long, took a lot of toll on him and the family. So I'm glad it's finally over for him. And I'm glad that it's finally over for hockey fans and selfishly myself as well. Yeah. And four, 4.43 Seattle time. So 4.43 Vegas time. Uh, no one's ever made a regrettable decision at uh, <laughs> 4 a.m. in Vegas. So this, this will probably work out. Uh, look, we can talk a lot about what Vegas is getting what this does to them as far as being cup contenders. But from the Buffalo perspective, given how long this all took, given how drawn out it was, now that we're at the finish line, did Kevin Adams get enough for Buffalo's franchise player? He was resolute in the fact that he wanted four first-round assets for him. He said that right from the outset to teams. Um, they got three and... 3.3, I guess. Uh, obviously, Peyton Krabs and Alex Tuck were first-round picks. They get a top-10 protected pick in 2022, and they get a 2023 second-round pick. So he got close to what he was asking for. 
Um, I'm sure at some point during the last six months, someone else came close. So (laughs) for me, it always comes back to, did this take longer than it should have? Um, But I think, uh, I think given the circumstances, it's a pretty good deal for Buffalo. Um, You got a potential replacement for Eichel and Krebs. Um, It's obviously not going to be this year. It's going to take him a few more years to grow into that role. Uh, Tuck, Alex Tuck grew up not far from Buffalo, about two hours away. He grew street. He grew up playing street hockey with former Sabres center, Tim Connolly. So he knows what the Sabres are about. Uh, the first round pick will be towards the middle or back of the round. So that's obviously not ideal for the Sabres. Um, but let's face it. Jack Eichel was never going to play in Buffalo again. He's an injured player who wasn't going to help any team right away that he went to. So given all that, yeah, I think the Sabres are happy this morning. Uh, and, you know, John, the, the classic modern-day NHL trade is, okay, this is the trade. Now tell me about the salary cap implications. So just from a Buffalo perspective, obviously moving out a big big ticket item in Eichel, where does this leave Buffalo from kind of a, um, a salary cap perspective? Yeah, let's, uh, let's go over the numbers, Jack. They subtract the $10 million, um, which uh, <laughs> actually that $10 million was keeping them above the salary cap floor. Uh, so that was, <laughs> that was one thing. So they had to get significant salary back just to stay above the floor. Uh, Tuck brings 4.75. Um, Krebs, I believe it. Yes. He's still on his entry level deal. So the Sabres are just above the floor now, um, with this trade. Uh, so obviously they won't have salary cap implications for years to come. I mean, they've, uh, they've got all the room in the world as far as NHL teams go. So yeah, they've, uh, I'd be more worried if I were in Vegas, that how these numbers are going to crunch, but Buffalo's all set. I, I can't help but feel a little bit for Sabres fans here. Cause I, I feel like they probably spent the last few months psyching themselves up for this kind of deal, which is to say, uh, a package that brings back some some decent parts, um, but it does feel a little bit like like getting three quarters for a dollar here. Uh, but that was the reality. You had a guy who was injured, a guy who wasn't going to play. Um, you had to move on. And I feel like if I'm a Sabres fan, I probably spent the last few months getting my head around that and understanding that this was going to be the return. And then on the eve of the trade, we start seeing all these rumors out of Calgary saying Matthew Kachuk is going to come over. This is going to be first round pick. And that pack, if I'm a Sabres fan, I'm listening to that package going, that's pretty good. And then the rug gets yanked out and this deal happens. Is there any truth? Was there any truth to those Calgary rumors uh, that Matthew Kachuk was going to be the key piece in a deal or at least in an offer? Uh, I've talked with Haley. Uh, she mentioned that there were Calgary did have offers. Um, she said she was heard that uh, she heard that Kachuk was uh, possibly involved in one of them. She also heard that the offer had changed five times in one day. So she wasn't completely sure. But I think Calgary was at least thinking about uh, that move, um, which the Sabres fans would have jumped at. Now, obviously, it would have been a it probably would have been a short term stay for Kachuk in Buffalo. Uh, he'll I can't imagine he'd be all that thrilled about making the city his long-term home with, uh, with unrestricted free agency coming in about 18 months or so, a little more than that now. But uh, so that was interesting. Uh, Our coworker, Tim Graham uh, noted that Kevin Weeks, who put first put the Matthew Kachuk uh, trade proposal out there is, was a former teammate of Kevin Adams. So there might've been some, uh, (laughs) some jockeying for asset movement uh, in that tweet, but uh, who knows? That's just, uh, that was just Tim's theory there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was, it was Calgary was involved, whether it would have been Kachuk ultimately, who knows, but uh, I think, I think the Sabres are okay with what they did. You know, John, I think obviously the biggest source of contention between the parties was, how to go about the uh, the neck procedure? That were like, at least that was the the, the straw that broke uh, the camel's back here with this r- fractured relationship. And was it your understanding that the Sabers basically allowed the Eichel camp to connect with other teams to see which teams would allow him to undergo his preferred method of, of uh, surgery, which was the artificial disc replacement? Like, is that is that fair to say that they were allowed to go ahead? Ask Vegas. Vegas says, yeah, go ahead. You can you can do that. Uh, surgery because it would be pointless, right? If he got traded to a team that had the same sort of view as, as Buffalo on this. Yes. I had talked to Pat Persson about things and uh, 
I had used the I had used the phrase broker a trade with him, and he said that's going a little too far. Um, he said I understand my role. I'm allowed to talk to people about my clients, um, and that obviously included whether they would be, allow his client to have that surgery. Because um, you're right. I mean, this now he'd get Jack would get to Vegas, and we'd be still sitting in the same situation where he wouldn't be playing and wouldn't be having surgery. But yeah. I would assume the uh, Golden Knights are ready that let him have the surgery he wanted, the artificial disc replacement. Uh, Jack uh, Jack and company recently went on a uh, a tour of doctors, and they've got multiple, 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 I should say again, doctors to say that, yes, artificial disc replacement surgery is a viable surgery for a hockey player. Um, the Sabres' contention from the start was always that, hey, this has never been done on an NHL player. We don't want to allow it. Um, but it's a surgery that's been done for almost two decades now. Um, Jack found enough neck doctors to say that, yes, this is not really that big of a risk that the Sabres are making out to be. And Vegas obviously agreed. So as, as far as where this goes now for the Sabres, this, this feels like the sort of deal where what they got is what they got. I, I don't think uh, that there's other dominoes to go or, or anything that's going to be flipped or anything like that. They've got two players coming in. The Sabres have been a good story to start the year. We all kind of wrote them off as uh, you know a team that was going to be at the very bottom of the standings, and they've they've surprised us uh, a little bit. Does this give any sort of boost to the guys who are in Buffalo right now, the guys in the room saying, okay, it's over. It's done. We don't have to hear about this guy anymore. Um, is it demoralizing in any sense that maybe the, the return wasn't as much as they thought, or are they just happy to get on with it, get a couple of new players in and, and keep building on what they've done to start the year? I think they'll be happy with it. Um, I'll talk to them. I've seen you when we head to the morning skate. Um, but I think they knew, um, they know Jack, um, the guys who played with them, they've talked to Jack, they've stayed in touch. They know that he was never coming back. It's not like any, no one in the locker room is holding out hope that, Hey, this is going to get resolved and our, our best players are going to come back to us. They knew that wasn't going to happen. So now they're actually getting some reinforcements. Uh, Tuck is injured at the moment, but when he comes back, he'll get a spot in the top six. Krebs will compete for a spot in the top six. Uh, he'll probably be a third line center in Buffalo. If they keep him right in Buffalo, they might send him to Rochester for a little seasoning, let him get to know Jack Quinn and a few of the other prospects they have. But no, I think the Sabres are Sabres players will be excited. Um, this hasn't really been weighing on them. We've, uh, they gave all the answers on uh, the opening days of training camp. We haven't been pressing them about it because we knew they weren't going to say anything different. Um, so they've been able to go on with their daily routine of games. Um, but they knew Jack wasn't coming back. So I don't think anyone's going to be uh, sad that this trade happened. John, before we let you go, I want to direct all of our listeners here to the Athletic Hockey Show uh, to read your column that dropped early on Thursday uh, morning. Headline, Sabres trade Jack Eichel, ending an era of drunken optimism, crushing disappointment, and bitter conflict. I need to know, John Vogel, when did you write this story? How long has that been sitting in your drafts? Because obviously, um, this, is a, this, is a night, this is a great piece, and there's no way from 4.45 in the morning to now that you wrote this. So you just peel back the curtain a little bit. Tell us how long you've had this column sitting in the drafts. Definitely June, possibly May. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think back. I could look at the uh, original uh, origin date, but definitely June at the latest. Um, probably May, though, because this all started. Jack was clear in early May that he was going to be on his way out. Um, it's been tweaked a couple times. There's been a few lines added here and there and twists and turns when I thought of some things at midnight and said, oh, that should go in. Um, but yeah, no, it's been sitting there since it was, uh, something right before summer started in Buffalo. Well, listen, I, I, I appreciate all the times you've jumped on the, uh, the podcast to give us the latest on this. And I certainly, I think Sean and I certainly appreciate you coming in at, uh, let's, let's be honest here. It's before 7am local time, uh, for you in Seattle when you're recording this with us. So thanks a ton. Hopefully you get some sleep at some point here, uh, later in the day, but thanks for doing this. And uh, we look forward to your coverage of the post Eichel Buffalo Sabres. Thanks for having me. I think I'm going to sleep from Friday till May. We'll see what happens. <laughs> that was good. Thanks, John. Right, take care. Thanks, John. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's great to connect with. I can't imagine getting a you know, 445 in the morning or 443. Sorry, I think is what he said, Sean. 4.43, you wake up and you're like, there's like a seismic kind of job-related thing that springs you into action, right? Like, I, yeah. yeah, that that is, yeah. Like, 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 listen, it was great to get John's perspective on the deal. I'm just curious, when you saw this morning, on Thursday morning, that this is the deal, what, like, what was your initial reaction to, to what you saw? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I think, the first word that jumps to mind is underwhelming. Uh, this isn't a ton to get back for a player of, of Jack Eichel's uh, caliber when he's healthy, when he's uh, fully engaged and good to go. I mean, we all know the circumstances here. We've, we've all seen this play out over most of the last year where you you knew about the dispute over the health. You knew that it was going to be months before this guy was ready to play again. You you knew that he wasn't coming back. All of that has an impact. And and you know I I I don't love the return for Buffalo, but at the same time I've I've already seen takes from people saying, oh surely they could have done better. I surely there was some team out there that uh, that would have offered more than this. I no, there wasn't because this was a situation where every team in the league knew the circumstances, and I'm sure Kevin Adams had conversations with pretty much everybody at some point. Um, this isn't the Boston Bruins trading Joe Thornton, where half the teams in the league didn't even know that he could have been available. This this was very well documented. We've been talking about it for months, and I clearly this was the best offer on the table, at least right now. Now, could could Kevin Adams have done better in the summer? Maybe. Could he have done better if he had held out and, and waited into the season or even into next offseason? It's possible, uh, although I doubt it. Um, but, you know, clearly under the circumstances, this was as good an offer as, as, as was out there for the Sabres, unless we hear something from some other team. Um, this is what was there. And at some point, if you're Kevin Adams, if you're the Sabres, if you're Sabres fans, you just got to say, do we take what's there and we move on? And and clearly that time had come. Y- you get some decent assets back. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure you get much, much more than that, but um, you get what you get. And uh, I, I'm not sure that there were, was any set of circumstances where the return was going to get significantly better than this uh, in the future. You know, and, and uh, let me throw something out there for, for Buffalo fans that maybe it'll make them feel better. But, you know, when Ottawa traded Eric Carlson back in 2018, at the time, there was a lot of people saying, like, that's your return. Like, you got a first-round pick. You got Josh Norris, who at the time was thought to be kind of a third-line player. San Jose thought third-line. Maybe Ottawa thought second-line. And then you got Chris Tierney, Dylan DeMello, Rudolph's balsers, like you'd and a conditional pick. Like you didn't get that one, you didn't get Timo Meyer, and you didn't get Thomas Hurdle, and you didn't get right. So, but then the hockey gods were like, okay, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna put some sort of weird hex on San Jose and they're gonna yeah. plummet to the bottom of the standings. And then Ottawa got Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris elevated. If you would have told me at the time that Ottawa was gonna win this deal, I'm like, what are you talking about? This is this is this is crazy. And now here we sit. A couple of years later, Ottawa has significantly won that deal, I think. So it's it's tough to stomach right now if you're a Buffalo fan. Uh, I think you get Alex Tuck. If you look at it this way, 
Now you just add Alex Tuck to a lineup that's kind of been punching above their weight to start the season. Like, so you're better today on the ice than you were yesterday. Um, but this is a tough sell. It's a tough sell when when you've given up on so many of the pieces that the the Ristolainens and the you know the guys that you thought uh, Reinhardt and o, like O'Reilly and Eichel, like all the guys that you thought three years ago, four years ago were going to be part of this are all gone, and that's yep. the part that sucks. Yeah, and it does. And I mean, you mentioned that Carlson trade, and that that feels like the best case scenario for Buffalo. The problem is. Even even the pick is top ten protected, so they don't even have that uh, that that long shot lottery chance that that Vegas just collapses and it turns into into something like what Ottawa got. Uh, so, boy, it, it's it's tough to find a lot of optimism here. And yeah, you're right. I mean, this is a rebuild that just never got out of gear. Uh, th- this is a a situation we all remember the great tank battle of 2015 with with Buffalo. Trying to get Connor McDavid, but knowing that if they finished dead last, that that the consolation prize was Jack Eichel. Um, we saw what that did to the organization and and their recovery from that. The other pieces that they brought in, uh, and and it just never got there. It's it's one thing to have a rebuild, and you say, you know what? At the end of the day, it it didn't reach the level we were hoping for. This didn't reach any kind of level. It just it never added up to to anything competitive, and now. You're starting all over again, and boy, if you're a Sabres fan, you're you're sitting there going, "Man, 2015 feels like a long time ago. We waited a long, long time to reap the rewards. We never did, uh, and now here we go again. We we got to start over. It's uh, we all understand why this happened. We we get why the Sabres are had to do this. It's it's so tough on those Buffalo fans. I I really feel for them right now. You know, I mentioned the hockey gods earlier. Um, I'm wondering that that. We all remember the tankathon of 2015, and there was that game between Buffalo and Arizona, right? The infamous game mm-hmm. where do you think the hockey gods are now six years later? Like this is what you get, yeah. Both of you, Buffalo yeah. and Arizona. This is what Arizona is winless. Buffalo just traded Jack Eichel six years That's after right. they kind of had that weird game where they were cheering for their own teams to lose. Yeah. Buffalo and Arizona, Buffalo Arizona got nothing out of that either. Uh, you know, they got the, uh, the Dylan Strome pick, which, which didn't go anywhere for them. Uh, and yeah, there's, you know, meanwhile, a, a team like Edmonton that wasn't openly tanking, they win the lottery. Connor McDavid's the best player in the world. Yeah. Maybe there's something to that. Yeah. And McDavid's, you know, playing like McDavid uh, these days and Edmonton is, uh, is rolling. So listen, uh, I want to move on, but before we do, I want to point out that, Jesse Granger, who obviously we got John Vogel on. People are like, oh, Jesse Granger, he always joins you guys on the Thursday show for Granger Things. This will be great. Well, guess what? Uh, Jesse Granger is in Ottawa right now and is tied up. The Vegas Golden Knights are going to be doing a uh, a media availability here shortly. And uh, the irony is, Sean, we both live in Ottawa. Jesse Granger is in Ottawa and he is unable. The one time he's in our hometown, he's Uh unable to join the pod. Is that and 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 the Vegas Golden Knights do something huge? Yeah, that's yeah, uh, that's fun. And, and the funny thing is, last time Vegas was in Ottawa is when they fired Gerard Gallant and replaced him with Peter DeBoer. So anytime you see Vegas is coming to Ottawa, just circle the date. Something seismic is uh, is going to happen for uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. But as we move along, uh, you know, it's I, I kind of mentioned off the top, been some moving parts here with the uh, with the podcast. I missed the Monday episode of the show just based on uh, some travel logistics and a hiccup for me. Thanks to Sean Gentilly for, for jumping in. Uh, you missed last week's show, Sean, and a huge tip of the hat to Max Boltman for, for pinch hitting for you. It was, uh, it was a great podcast. Uh, but for the last week or so, Sean, a lot of the conversation on this podcast has been dominated, and rightfully so, by the Chicago Blackhawks uh, situation. And as we look at this now, and I think our team has done an excellent job. Gentilly in particular, I really liked his column about uh, kind of Gary Bettman in his press conference. And that's where I kind of want to take this here for a second. Uh, because I know that there has been some people, uh, Eric Dahachik, Sean Gentilly, mm-hmm. among others, have suggested that basically, Sean, this recent news cycle might be the catalyst that pushes Gary Bettman out of office. Um, I have always felt that Gary was going to be able to orchestrate his own exit, that he would walk away. But this is the first time I'm not feeling that way. I'm starting to feel like maybe there's a little bit of pressure here. So let's start with this. Do you think 
that the way that this recent news cycle played out, and in particular Gary's um, handling of the press conference on Monday, could potentially nudge him out the door of the commissioner's office? I think it's extremely unlikely. And the reason for that is that, you know, the we can write all the columns we want. The fans can be as upset. Uh, that's not going to be what pushes Gary Bettman out. It's it's the owners that he works for. And as has been well documented over the years, the, the owners are satisfied with the job that he has done. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I know a lot of people kind of get maybe too simplistic on this and they just say, well, revenue's up and as long as revenue's up. I mean, it, we can we can get into the whole debate over the job that Gary Bettman has done over, over the decades. Um, but at the end of the day, there's a satisfaction level with, with his bosses. There's a satisfaction level with the, the owners that he reports to. And I don't get the sense from them that uh, there's any real, real movement to push him out now. You know, Gary Bettman is, has been at this for over a quarter of a century. He is, he is not a, a young guy anymore. At some point, uh, he won't be doing this job anymore. And, and that is, is probably something that's, uh, that's going to be up to him where, where he decides that, that, uh, you know, maybe he wants to do something else. I don't think anything here happens that pushes him out based on what we know so far. Uh, what we have seen is that uh, of all the people that have, have lost jobs or uh, are potentially facing that, um, it's, it's people who were informed at some point of what was going on in Chicago and didn't take action. And there hasn't been uh, a suggestion that I've seen that, that Gary Bettman falls into that category. If something like that were to come out then yes different situation and and uh, that would that would change the circumstances but um until then i i think it's it's bad pr it's it's a crisis um of of confidence for the fan base but we've had a whole lot of those in the gary bettman era and and the people who who decide whether he stays on don't don't really seem to care uh and i'm not convinced that this will be any different but you know, you do bring up a, a, a good point in that. Look, Gary's been at this a long time. Like we're closing in on three decades of Gary Bettman as NHL commissioner. Like 2023, right? Will be a 30 years. I think February first, mm-hmm. 2023. 30 years on the job. Okay, so even if we were to operate in a vacuum and remove all of this stuff swirling around from the past uh, week or so, you would have to think that logically speaking, that the NHL is starting to work on a succession plan of who's going to be the next commissioner. So I'm going to put this ball in your court. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you, Sean, the opportunity. You could pick one person to be the commissioner of the NHL. And, I, and here's the problem, though, right? Because it's going to end up being some lawyer that we've never heard of is going to be the commissioner of the NHL. Yep. And people like you and me are like, you know what? Ray Ferraro should be the next commissioner of the NHL. Or mm-hmm. Jen Botterill should be the next commissioner of the NHL. And it won't happen. They're not going to go outside right. the box, right? But if I gave you your one kind of, you know, the, the genie grants the wish and you get, you get to pick anybody on the planet is the commish. Who's it going to be? Who would be a good fit? Man, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not even sure who would be a good fit under the way that this league is set up. You know, it's, it's a league where the owners call the shots and then the GMs make the rules and, uh, part of my criticisms of Gary Bettman, which I've had a lot of over over the decades, is is the lack of leadership. That that lack of being able to walk into a room and say, "No, here is what is better for the league. Here's what's better for our fans, better for the sport." And yeah, I know that it's going to make your jobs a little bit harder, GMs. And I know that you know maybe it's not going to absolutely maximize the dollars going into your pockets, owners. But let's think long term. Let's have a vision here. And, and you know, it, it, I, there's lots of people out there who would be capable of that. I don't doubt for a minute that Gary Bettman would be capable of that. It's just not how this league is set up. So I, I'm not sure it really matters a ton. Uh, you know, obviously, we're all looking at Bill Daly is, is the right hand man, whether he's a guy who could take the job or not. Um, hard to say. Uh, the reality is it's, it's probably, you know, you said some lawyer we've never heard of, it's, it's probably going to be 
similar to how we got Gary Bettman in the first place. It'll be the second or the third or the fourth or the seventh in command at the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball or or one of the many other sports that are growing faster and and doing better than the NHL has under Gary Bettman. And and that's, if anything, uh, you know, uh, the the indictment of him is that, uh, you know, we're, we're, Hockey is really not in any different a position than it was 30 years ago when uh, Bruce McDowell said, you know what, let's try to get David Stern. And that was at least a a big thought and a big swing, and it didn't work out. And they end up getting Gary Bettman, who was number three at the NBA. It's probably something similar to that. If I could pick anybody, I like Adam Silver as a commissioner. But is he going to take the demotion of coming over to the NHL? I think the chances are uh, exactly zero on that. So um, I'd love to see somebody who had some vision. I'd love to see somebody like that. I, I'm just, I'm cynical of it because put whoever you want, put your Ray Ferraro, put, put whoever. Um, I think they get into that room and then the old boys club looks him in the eye and says, we don't really want to change anything. Um, and, uh, and, and that's where the vision kind of gets flushed. You know, I, I love your idea. If they're going to probably take the number two or three person, from a fast-growing sport, I'm going to Google search the corporate ladder of pickleball. Who's number two on the pickleball uh, ladder? That person is going to be the next commissioner of the National Hockey League. But you're right. Like We do sometimes forget that the commissioner is really uh, an extension of the 32 owners, that, that, that the 32 owners have sort of collectively come together and they get one person to sort of act on their behalf. It's not this sort of person who really truly oversees the game from the betterment of the game and it's it's somebody to act on the in the interest of the of the owners and so you're right it's going to end up being somebody that you know we probably haven't heard of and, and it's probably going to end up not affecting a kind of a seismic change and that's you know that's kind of par for the course but that's really if you've been paying attention to this for the last 20 years or whatever that really we shouldn't be surprised right is kind of the takeaway here this is this is what the NHL does. Yep. They, they, it's, it's what they do. And it, it, you know, on the one hand, you can't talk about Gary Bettman without talking about the factory reports of the owners. On the other hand, I do think there's a lot of fans out there who give him a pass on that and they make it sound like he has just absolutely no power whatsoever. This guy doesn't get paid eight or 10 or whatever million dollars a year to just sit in a room and take notes uh, and uh, and do whatever the owners tell him to do, in theory, at least. There has been... All along, room for leadership on any number of issues, the quality of the play on the ice, uh, concussions, uh, you know, go on down the list. The the current, uh, you know, issues that we're seeing around uh, players and, uh, you know, drugs and medical treatments and and the issues that Robin Leonard has raised. Go on down the list. There's there's a half dozen major issues where at any point Gary Bettman could have stood up and said, you know what? I'm going to lead on this. And he never seems to, uh, you know, now would it be easy? Does he just get to walk into a room and say, this is what we're going to do? No. Um, but boy, it would be nice to have somebody who could actually foster change on any number of these things. Um, you know, making hockey more accessible, making it more welcoming for, uh, you know, the, the potential new fans that, that we're always chasing. Um, I'd love to see it. You know, this is why, I think ultimately we're going to look back at Gary Bettman's time in the NHL and and consider it a failure, even though the revenues will have shot up through the roof, just like they did in every other sport and and entertainment uh, um, avenue. Um, It's just never been there, that leadership. Uh, And my big worry is that 30 years of Gary Bettman not leading has now led us to this place where there is no more expectation that a commissioner would actually lead. And, and the next guy is, is just going to uh, be that guy who sits in the room and takes notes and, and does whatever he's told. And, and that's unfortunate uh, for, for any league, but especially a league like the NHL that, that has so much work left to do. Sounds to me, you know how John Vogel mentioned that uh, he had that column written for months? Sounds to me like you might have a... Gary Bettman, whatever that is, you've got some column in the drafts ready to go. Uh, the the look back at the I've, thirty years of Gary Bettman. I've I've uh, I've written that column, and I'll I'll tell the story someday of what happened to it. But uh, that was before my time at the Athletic, and uh, maybe 
maybe the maybe the thirty year anniversary will be the time to break it out again. What? This podcast seems like the perfect platform for you to tell that story. I've, I well, I mean, I I don't really know the story. I I there was a time where I, when Gary Bettman was twenty five years in, and I was asked to write a column uh, about his his time uh, for uh, for a company that was a uh, a rights holder, and uh, I did, and the column didn't run, and and I don't know much more than that uh other than it's it's still sitting in the uh it's not even a draft it's a finished piece i could probably go and update it and uh yeah maybe like i say maybe the big 3-0 will be the time to uh uh to toss it out there there we go okay see i love that oh, okay uh i want to focus on a couple of quick things here on ice in fact i got a, i got a tweet this morning from a diehard florida panthers fan sean eric is a big panthers fan and pointed out to me so on Thursday, Florida plays Washington. On Saturday, Florida plays Carolina. Okay, and that's kind of a clash of the Titans, Panthers, Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Consider this, and this is unbelievable. So this kind of mini three-team event here, Capitals, Panthers, and Hurricanes. Right now, those three teams are a combined 22-1-4. and four. One regulation loss amongst those three teams, Florida and Washington Thursday night, Florida and Carolina Saturday. Um, but I, I wouldn't mind focusing on that Saturday game because I think that's going to yeah. be great. Like that should be the type of game. It'll never be the game that's on kind of national TV, but that's exactly the type of game we should have on national television in the United States, in Canada. You want to sell hockey at its fastest, at its best up-tempo, fun, whatever. I feel like Panthers, Hurricanes might be the thing. I'm going to be really interested in Saturday's game because I do think it'll affect a lot of people, and you do these too, a lot of people's power rankings and different kind of your views mm-hmm. of teams early in the season, I think will be altered a little bit by by these games involving the uh, the Panthers here. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a great one. First of all, Southeast Division represent, you know, yes. the old, uh, the, the much maligned division is now giving us uh, three of our best teams. Yeah, I, I do the power rankings. I've had Panthers, Hurricanes as my top two. I think, I think most rankings probably have. It's going to be a great, uh, a, a great clash. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it'll be a good one. We hope, uh, you never know. Sometimes these games end up being a letdown, but uh, it'll it'll tell us a little something, and uh, it's it's always fun early season to have those those uh, meetings. Uh, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only one that you know. Once both those teams had started off, you know, five, six, and zero, oh, you start looking at the schedule. You go, "Whoa, when are we going to get this?" And then you see oh, it's coming right up. So uh, it'll be a good one, yeah. And and you're right, Washington's sort of getting a, a little bit uh, forgotten, maybe, uh, but. Uh, uh, they're up there too. Well, why, man, one regulation loss between three teams. That's uh, that's going to be a fun few days. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I'm thinking about the hockey gods again. Maybe they're getting back at us for mocking the Southeast Division all those years ago. Carolina, Florida, Washington combined one loss. Oh, yeah. And Tampa Bay is the two-time defending Stanley yep. Cup champion. Yeah. There's Winnipeg Jets fans out there <laughs> saying, hold on. Oh, what about <laughs> us? We had that one year. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that that should be a lot of fun uh, to watch, uh, you know, kind of play out. Now, I want to also talk real quick. Now, Nashville wasn't. No, they weren't in the Southeast Division. No, sorry. That, no, that, they were so, always no. in the Central, right? Yeah. Okay. But I want to talk real quick about Nashville. They announced, the Predators did this week, Sean, that they're going to be retiring their first ever jersey in franchise history. I know you thought it would be David Lagwand, but it's not. <laughs> it's uh, it's Pecorine. His number 35 is going to be retired. And uh, Pecorine had a terrific career in the National Hockey League. And, and certainly, I think when you look at the kind of foundational players of the, the first two decades of that franchise, he's, he's top of mind, right? So I have no qualms with them deciding to retire the jersey. I'm just curious, like, when guys who aren't going to be Hall of Famers um, get their jerseys retired, like, what what's your feeling on that? Like, is there, like... Is it just, does it only matter to that market? Because I'll be honest, like Chris Phillips got his jersey retired in Ottawa and people were like, oh, what a joke, like Chris Phillips. But I'm like, yeah, you know what though? But he was really important here. He played his whole career here, important to the community. I know Ken Danico had his number retired in New Jersey. People are like, that guy's not mm-hmm. a Hall of Famer. I don't think Pecorino is going to end up in the Hall of Fame. So what's your stance on guys who aren't Hall of Famers 
but get their numbers retired. I'm good with it. I'm I'm all for it. I, I do not understand that that stance. I, I I get that there are some teams that have made that policy. Fine, but my view has always been that retiring a number that's for the fans. That is a a moment to recognize yes a player's accomplishments, but also a player's resonance and importance in that market and to those fans. And absolutely, there are guys who do not qualify to be Hall of Famers who are deserving of that honor. And, you know, this idea, oh, you got to be in the Hall of Fame. No, we already have an honor that is reserved exclusively for Hall of Famers. It's called being in the Hall of Fame. Uh, When it comes to retiring numbers, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, look, you mentioned Chris Phillips here in Ottawa. Daniel Alfredson's not in the Hall of Fame. You're telling me you're not going to retire Daniel Alfredson's number in Ottawa? Of course you are. Trevor Linden, not a Hall of Famer, absolutely should have his number hanging in the rafters in Vancouver. Wendell Clark in Toronto. Uh, this guy was the, the defining player and the most popular player for an entire generation of Maple Leafs fans. You're not going to retire his number um, because he's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, go on down the list. Mike Richter for the New York Rangers, you're telling me you don't want to see his number hang. The guy who won you your first Stanley Cup in 54 years. Uh, I have never understood trying to be super exclusive. And yes, sure, there has to be a cutoff somewhere. And, that, you know, there's always going to be good players who aren't honored uh, in, in that way. But any of this stuff, whether it's retiring numbers, building statues, whatever you want to do, to me, it is for the fans. It's for the fan base. If the fan base wants to see that guy honored, that's all there is to it. Uh, and frankly, the rest of us on the outside don't really get a say and don't really get to tell some fan base that they picked the wrong guy. It's not our call to make. Now, on the flip side, I want to know, because you're, you know, and we're about to get into kind of this week in hockey history and, and it's, uh, it's right up your alley. Like, now let's go to the other side of the equation. How many guys are in the Hall of Fame but don't have their numbers retired? So I'm thinking of the, like, Pierre Turgeon's the first guy that came to mind, right? Like, yeah. he's a not a Hall of Famer yet, but. Yeah, but, but like those types of guys yeah. that mm-hmm. are like, like Dave Andrew right? Like he's one of th- them, yeah. Those types of guys. Um, Mark Recchi, I don't think, has his number retired anymore. He doesn't have one. So no, but- is there more guys that, that we, than we realize that probably are in the Hall of Fame and don't have their numbers retired? There, there probably are, yeah. Dino Cicerelli, another guy, right? Like not, uh, and it's it's those sorts of guys, the Cicerelli, Anderchuk, Recchi guys, where they they did move around a little bit. And I was a bit surprised that Anderchuk wasn't uh, wasn't done in Buffalo, but that would be the really the only the only team that you'd consider because generally speaking, you you very rarely see guys get numbers retired where they've only been with the team for a short amount of time. You get the occasional Ray Bork situation in Colorado, but uh, generally you, you've got to have been somewhere for a decade. And and so when you get to some of the guys that would be considered maybe borderline Hall of Famers, the Bernie Federicos, Clark Gillies, those sorts of guys, if they were with one team forever, uh, they're they're typically going to have been honored, and both those guys have been. It's the guys who who bounced around, the, the Reckies, where it's you know, it was three or four years here and then somewhere else. Um, and, you know, in Recchi's case, he, he had most of his success with the Penguins. And the Penguins have, are kind of one of those weird teams. They, they haven't retired very many at all, although you would, you would assume that's going to change coming up. Um, but, yeah, there, there have been guys like that. Uh, not a ton, though. Uh, generally speaking, you make the Hall of Fame. It, it, it sort of has to have been a very um, a unique sort of career in the sense that you built those accolades without ever settling down and, and really putting down roots in one particular market. Okay. Future down goes Brown column idea, best players to not have their numbers retired. It could be Sergey Fedorov's another one that surprises people because it did. Wait, he it, doesn't have his number. Not in Detroit. No, really? I, I, but in Columbus. Uh, yes. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He was, uh, <laughs> He was right up there for for them. No, the, the Detroit. That that's a whole because that's the other piece, right? There are some situations where there's just bad blood or something is weird between the organization, and um, it uh, you have to wait till that gets smoothed over. But yeah, he's another guy. So, um, but uh, I I I think those ones tend to get done in time. There was a time where you know Paul Korea wasn't going to be done in Anaheim, and of course they they worked that out. And 
generally that's that's how those end up. Did did things go off the rails for Fedorov in Detroit? He signed some mega deal with Carolina, right? Yeah. Like front load an offer paid, sheet, yeah, an offer it, sheet, it was, and then it was like if you get to the conference final, there's a crazy bonus. Like I wonder if that's the thing that just. Uh, you know, Sergey, it was, and and because he wanted out, and he signed. If people don't know the story, this this was back when you could sign offer sheets, and the rules were a little bit different. And and Carolina gave him a a very big contract, but what they did is they said, okay, here's the salary we're going to pay you every year of this contract, but a huge chunk of it will move up and become a year one bonus if you make the conference finals. Well, Carolina was no good that year. Everybody knew they weren't going to make the playoffs, probably, let alone the conference finals. Meanwhile, Detroit is the defending Stanley Cup champions. It was basically a big middle finger to Detroit to to make it, uh, in theory, very, very difficult for them to match. They did. But Sergei Fedorov, as a result, he made like $28 million in one season. I think he was the highest paid pro athlete in like all of uh, all of North America that one year because of the weirdness of that offer sheet. And uh yeah, that uh, that led to some bad blood, but hey, credit to credit to Carolina for trying, and uh, you know, I'm I'm sure they they probably never did another offer sheet. I, they learned their lesson. Yeah, man. All I can think of is I wish I only wish Sarah Sivian was covering the Hurricanes at the time of the Sergey Fedorov offer sheet. That would have been a good day. one. Yeah, yeah, that would have been good. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, let's open up the mailbag and then we'll do some This Week in Hockey History to close out here. A reminder that uh, you can uh, reach us uh, via email, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. Theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. Or we love to hear your voice. We really do. 845-445-8459 is the number. Okay, so this is from Chris. Chris has an idea about penalties in the NHL. And I know what you like. You like out-of-the-box thinking. Okay? Mm-hmm. You like things that are done differently. Just let's think about things in a different way. I don't mind this. I'm going to float this idea from Chris. He emailed into the show. You tell me if you like this. Okay? Hey, guys. When a penalty is committed on the ice, what if the player who committed that infraction, his position is gone for the two minutes? So, for example, if a centerman commits a two-minute tripping penalty, your team can't have a center on the ice for the duration of the penalty kill. So, for example, let's say Patrice Bergeron is in Boston and he takes a tripping penalty. Well, when Bruce Cassidy puts his four guys out there, he can't have a center. Or imagine if Drew Doughty takes a penalty in L.A. And now the Kings have to roll out with three forwards and a D. It's out of the box. What do we think of this? It's it's out of the box. It's uh, I, I'm not sure it's practical. Like, that's, that's I, I guess... What you would have to do is is force teams to narrowly define positions uh, before the game, so that you know you say these guys are my centers because otherwise it's 
you know, the, the Maple Leafs just go, yeah, Austin Matthews is a winger. We're going to throw him out there and uh, something like that. But it would be it would be cool if you could do it, especially if you could force the teams to actually play that way. Like, no, you don't get a defenseman. You got to have one defenseman and three forwards playing like forwards. Uh, that would be fun. I just think it's uh, the sort of thing where the cynic in me is just like coaches would ruin this. This is yet another thing. The coaches would just ruin right away. and they'd, they'd figure out a way around it. But uh, I, I, it's outside the box. I like, I like that kind of thinking. I, I also wonder about the idea. What happens when the goalie plays the puck in the, in the trapezoid? Yeah. Then what? That's you don't it. get a goalie? That's a big one. Yeah. Then you got to, uh, you're, you're out. Yeah, okay. Uh, Bruno writes in, everybody's been talking about Alexander Ovechkin potentially breaking Gretzky's record. And recently, you guys have been talking about some great players who had really short careers. Do you think there's a case to be made that Mike Bossy is the greatest goal scorer in NHL history and he would have been number one on the all-time list if not for injuries? That's yeah. from Bruno. Yeah, there, there, there's a case. Uh, this surprises some people given you know how many goals Gretzky scored and how unbreakable we thought that record was it, in terms of goals per game Wayne Gretzky's only seventh in NHL history and the, the guys ahead of him it's it's Alex Ovechkin who's is narrowly ahead of him it's two guys from the very early era uh where scoring rates were just all over the place and and they didn't play as many games and then it's three guys from the modern era who had careers shortened by injury. And obviously when your career is shortened by injury, you you don't have that, you know, through your 30s and late 30s where your production drops. I mean, Gretzky was um, off the charts as far as goals per game during the 80s. And then the 90s where he became more and more of a setup guy, that's when the number dropped. But the three guys ahead of him are Pavel Bure, Mario Lemieux, and Mike Bossy. And, and I think certainly with both Bossy and Lemieux, you could make the case that those guys stay healthy. Those guys are the 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 ones who uh who who end up holding that record and um especially Mario. I, I mean he's he's the guy even more so than Mike Bossy. I mean Bossy racked up just unbelievable numbers um doing it in an era where goal scoring was uh was significantly higher. You know, what what would Mike Bossy's career have looked like if he had played into the mid nineties? We'll never know. Um but certainly he he would have been well up the list, uh, you know, 700 plus, maybe an 800 guy. Um, it's possible. Mario is the guy that we saw him in the dead puck era. We saw him come in in the pre-lockout years where it was just clutch and grab and unwatchable hockey and and everybody was trying to win every game one nothing. And he was still unstoppable. Uh, I mean, if, if Mario Lemieux is healthy and he plays 20 years, I think he holds every offensive record in the book. Um, including goal scored. Um, but yeah, Mike Bossy is another guy. I, I think absolutely a great, you know, what might've been uh, as, as far as what kind of numbers he could have got up to um, because he was, he was unstoppable at his peak. Absolutely. Okay. And one more from the mailbag. This comes in from Sean who uh, writes in via email guys. We've had four short seasons in my lifetime as an NHL hockey fan. 1995, 2013, 2020, and 2021. All four of those Stanley Cups were won by powerhouse teams who were either already uh, a powerhouse or on the precipice of being a powerhouse. Um, Sean, you have observed that in the NHL playoffs, things can seem to be the flip of a coin. But it seems to me that when they cut the number of regular season games down to around 60, it seems like maybe the best teams do rise above and they do better. So do you think it's worth debating whether the very long regular season wears down the best teams and brings them down to an average level and that in a shorter season, it uh, kind of counterintuitively decreases the randomness of the final result. So Sean, basically what he's saying is, hey, listen, if you cut down the regular season from 82 games to, you know, 55, 60 games, the best teams are going to rise to the top by the end of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, you know what? It's an interesting point and and you know it is counterintuitive because i'm always going on and on about how the the playoffs are basically coin flips and they don't actually tell us who the best team was and and this and that but he's right you could make a case certainly i think of the four shortened seasons uh certainly the chicago year i mean that was the best team in the league kind of start to finish Uh, they, they went undefeated for the first half of the half of the season and 
um, kind of rolled uh, Tampa as well. New Jersey, I'd, I'd probably quibble with. I don't think anyone viewed them as a powerhouse. And, and yes, they did end up winning two cups uh, several years later. But um, that is maybe the one where if, if this theory held true, we would have expected Detroit or, or someone else to have uh, had a bigger year. But it's 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 an interesting theory. It's small sample size. We've only got four of these seasons to go by. But yeah, maybe some of that randomness uh, that I'm always complaining about is is due to teams going through these very long seasons and arriving in the playoffs beaten up and fatigued and and all of these other things. And yeah, maybe if you shorten it a little bit, uh, you you do get uh, some truer results. I, I'm not sure I buy it, but I I can see the evidence for it. And uh, you know, uh, again, I'm I'm always open to any sort of counterintuitive thinking uh, like uh, like this one here. Okay, well, listen, it's great to get you back on the podcast, Sean, because we can get back to this week in hockey history. Love to wrap it up because there's always some colorful, neat stories from you know the, the past in hockey history that we can kind of uh, you know inform and entertain our listeners with some uh, some anecdotes. So let's go all the way back to this week in 1947. That's right, November the first, 1947. The Detroit Red Wings put together a line of Gordy Howe, Ted Lindsay, and Sid Abel. It was their first game together. They would go on to have years of success as the production line. So let me start with this. Is the production line the best nickname of a line in NHL history? You think of the obviously the auto industry in Detroit and the production assembly lines there. You get a great line that's producing. It's just the, it's the perfect name for the line. Is the production line the greatest nickname of a line in NHL history? It's up there. It's, uh, you know, there, there have been some good ones. Triple crown line comes to, to mind. It, it just, you know, from my era, you can't beat Legion of Doom. I mean, that was a great, that was a great name. Yeah. I mean, they stole it from pro wrestling, but that's, that's fine. That's uh, that's a good source of nicknames. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been on this soapbox before. I, I miss nicknames for both players and lines. Um, I'm so sick of, just taking like the the first letter of names and turning that into line and being like, oh, it's the it's the QRL line. Like, no, man, that's that's not a nickname. That's that's an abbreviation. And uh, you know, I, I I've I've written about this. The the problem, it's us. It's the media because we used to be the ones who came up with these names, and now we just go in and we ask the player, like, hey, what's your nickname? Oh my, that guy Joe Smith. Yeah, his Smithy is his nickname. And we just go, okay, his nickname is Smithy. No, it's not. You got to make something up. You know, nobody uh, nobody went up to George Vezina, like, what do they call you? And he was like, oh, the Shakutami Cucumber. Like, no, they probably <laughs> called him Georgie or Vezzy or something. But some sports writer was like, yeah, you know what? I'm hanging this nickname on him. And it was beautiful. We we got to come up with more. Um, but uh, it's, it, and, you know, when it comes to lines, it is tougher these days because uh, the lines don't necessarily stick together. And a lot of teams do the thing where they, they put two guys together and rotate someone else in. But I'd love to see us get back to that. It was, you know, it's it's cool. It was always fun to have, like, groups in sports, like whether it's an offensive line or, you know, an infield or something. Give them a good nickname. Let them stay together. It it, it makes it fun. And we've sort of abdicated on that in hockey because we, we all either lost our creativity or decided to just ask the players, who are probably the least creative people in the world when it comes to this kind of thing. We we stop. You know what? We need to go back to like like you said, Shakutami cucumber. Uh, mm-hmm. Like go back to guys' hometown. Like Connor McDavid yes. from Rich, Richmond Hill, isn't he? Yeah, isn't he part of Let's yeah. Richmond Hill Rocket or something? Something. Yeah, like something. We got to go back to guys' I, hometowns, dude. I, I I wrote a whole piece. If people can go look in my archives, because it was a few years ago on nicknames and like what kind of nicknames work, and you know anything that. You know, rhyming nicknames, or you know, you throw you you basically throw an adjective on uh, on something. It can be done, but the problem is you got to like you got to actually have the you got to stick to it, right? Because as soon as you throw anything out, people are gonna go, "That's dumb," or you know, whatever. That's not his name. His name's just uh, you know, is he's he's Jonesy, and it's like, no, that's that's not a nickname. That's a short form that people call. We got to come up with some nicknames, and and I really mean we, the fans and the media. It's our job. Let's get to it. I'm open to suggestions. Anybody's got any suggested nicknames for lines or players, uh, send them in and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do with them. I think the best nickname in the modern post 2000 for me, 
Do you remember Vancouver's uh, the mattress line? The short lived. It was Jason Jason King with Daniel Sedin and Henrik Sedin, and they're like, "This is perfect." A king with two twins. That's the mattress line. Too, that's it what was we too need. beautiful for its time, and that's it. That's yeah. a great line. And then they, and that's the other thing we need is, uh, you know, maybe maybe the NHL needs to be, take some leadership here and say, if you come up with a good line for a, a a good nickname for a line, that line has to stay together. That's it. I'm sorry, I don't care if the Sedins don't like playing with this guy. Now this is this is what you're stuck with, uh, and and we got to just go with it. But no no taking the first letter and spelling something out. None of none of that. That's that's gone. Okay. One more uh, this week in hockey history, November the 3rd. We're not going to go back that far. Uh, 2007, Ted Nolan, who was the head coach of the New York Islanders, decides to invite Al Arbor back behind the bench. Why? Because Al Arbor was sitting on 1,499 career games as a head coach. Ted Nolan thought it would be a really classy gesture. Bring him back. Let him coach one more game. And guess what? He got to 1,500. And the Islanders won that game as well. Uh, a really cool moment to, to let him come back and win, or sorry, and, and, and coach in career game number 1,500. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's cool that something like that would happen. It, the same thing happened with Roger Nielsen, right, in Ottawa? Yeah. Didn't they they get, let him get two games to get to 1,000 for his career? It's uh, Yeah, it's it's a rare situation, obviously, but, I mean, Al Arbor in, in New York, uh, just an absolute legend. Uh, yeah, it's great. And I'd like to see it more. We got to like check the list and see who's, uh, uh, who's a few games away from milestone and let's get them back in there. Like, uh, I'm always, uh, the, the Jacques Martin thing was really cool. Cause Roger was at nine ninety eight, mm-hmm. and, uh, Jacques like, you know what? I'm going to step aside. Uh, Roger's going to run the bench and Roger, the last game that he coached Bill McCall had gone the entire season without scoring a goal. Okay. It was it was like the final game of the year. Billy had played like 70 games. Roger put him on the first unit power play, gave him all the opportunity. Bill McCall must have had five great opportunities, didn't get a goal. But uh, that's yeah. what I remember from Roger coming in. And, and he probably uh, had a coaching. bunch of video to show him and everything yeah. of just, you know, I'm surprised he didn't have some rule-breaking uh, uh, thing to get him a goal. It's 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 great. Let me let me throw one at you, okay? Because this is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the, the coaching list. And I'm seeing there's a few guys who are close to milestones that we can bring back. But there are only four coaches in NHL history that have 100 playoff wins. The next guy on the list at 96, so four wins away from joining that club, Mike Keenan. We got to bring Mike Keenan back. Let me just throw this at you, okay? Okay. If you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, bring in Mike Keenan for round one this year. What have you got to lose? (laughs) What have you been doing that's working better than Mike Keenan coming in for that first play to get you those four wins that you need, and then he steps aside? I mean, how how great would that be? Especially, you know what, maybe you don't even do it to start, but maybe if they go out and they lay an egg in game one, yeah, get, next day, practice. Hey, guys, we're changing something up. Oh, yeah, we're mixing up the lines. We're changing the power plays. Nope. Whistle blows, and then Iron Mike skates onto the ice. In a tracksuit. Yep, just starts, you know, that's it. Marner, you're on the fourth line. Matthews, you're benched. Nylander, you're the goalie. And you're pulled. It just, yeah, really. Re- I, by that point, I'll tell you, if the Leafs get off to a bad start in the playoffs, the, the fans will be craving it anyways. And just have him come in, uh, you know, maybe make him GM too. He can, he can work a few trades. I know they're not allowed in the playoffs, but he'll. the, the rules never really applied to, to Mike. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's that's my pitch. Mike Keenan comes in to get the four wins that he needs and uh, and whip the Leafs into shape. Let's do this. Okay, so I was looking this up too. I was like, well, who else is kind of like like you, you bring up a great example? Mike Keenan is close to uh, to a, a, a milestone there. Terry Murray is sitting at four hundred and ninety nine career wins. Do you think at like at parties or at any like if he's on an NHL circle, if you're Terry Murray, do you just drop this in a conversation and just be like? I'm at 499. Sure wish yep. there was a way to get to 500. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? You know, the last team I coached won the Stanley Cup that year. Did I ever tell you guys? Oh, yeah. yeah. Were you behind? Well, yeah, it was, yeah. It was. he was with LA. And you know, here's the funny thing. Somebody could bring him in to do that. And it still wouldn't be the weirdest Terry Murray new job story. Because the Terry over. Murray famously replaced his own brother 
as as a yeah. head coach. Uh, when, when Brian Murray gets fired, it was the Capitals, right? They fire Brian Murray and they hire Terry Murray. That I, boy, you talk about the conversations you would have loved to have overheard. Imagine, uh, imagine that call. Hey, you want to come to Washington? Want to be on my brother's uh, coaching staff? Not exactly, not yeah. exactly, Terry. But uh, this is uh, this is what we got to do. Yeah, uh, like imagine some t- imagine Washington or LA somewhere where he coaches. Like you know what, Terry's at four ninety nine. We're gonna bring you back to coach a game, and then they lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do? exactly. It just turns into a, like a long losing streak. How yeah. long do we keep this guy <laughs> to try to get that win? There's got to yeah. be. Yeah, just how many losses in a row before you go, you know what, maybe 499 is just your number. Just that's it. And, and I looked it up. I think Glenn Anderson's the clo- like Glenn Anderson's at 497 for goals. Mm-hmm. Like there's nobody at 499, but Glenn Anderson would have been the guy that could he have come back to try to get to 500. That would have been it in terms of uh, kind of players in that We could do, I mean, you're telling me the Arizona Coyotes, they, they couldn't do this just for, you know, for a couple of games. It, it just every once a month, just bring somebody back to try to get them to a milestone. They, they're they not trying to win. Well, so, you know, I mean, that maybe maybe the wins for Ted Murray would, yeah. would be a little too big of an ask. But <laughs> yeah, give them the rest uh, of the season and it could it could happen. But yeah, there's there's got to be there's got to be a way to do this. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen, we'll leave it there. This hour flew by. Uh, uh, and again, uh, didn't have uh, Jesse Granger for uh, Granger things, but that's because he's uh, all tied up today. Uh, with that uh, big Vegas news, but uh, make sure you read his latest on the uh, on the athletic uh, on that deal, Sean. This and this was a ton of fun. Thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll get you again next uh, next Thursday. Right on, sounds good. All right, I want to remind all of our listeners that uh, the Friday Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Edition is coming your way uh, on Friday. That's why it's the Friday edition of the show. Uh, Corey Promman, Max Boltman, they're going to be taking a deep dive into uh, the, uh, the the top prospects and the rookies this week. Thanks again for joining us. Like I said, drop us an email to the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. And if you're not a subscriber with us, you can join us at the athletic.com slash hockey show. You'll get an annual subscription for just $3.99 a month.